Welcome to the Greater Possibilities podcast from Invesco, where we put concerns into context, the opportunities into focus. I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. And we're talking artificial intelligence today. Ashley Orth is here. She's a senior investment strategy analyst at Invesco. So Ashley will be here to make sense of the optimism and the fear surrounding AI. So Brian, which side are you on? Excitement or fright with AI? Yes. Is that okay? okay. Yeah, sure. Great answer. <laughs> uh, probably most people would uh, echo that. But yeah, no, I, I'm I think not sure. that's pretty common. Yeah, I'm not sure if I even know enough yet to be excited or frightened. But um, yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around it. I think everybody else is as well. I mean, I, I can look to certain things. Like if you were to ask me, am I excited about autonomous cars that mm. get safer and safer over time? Then yeah, sure. Of course I'm excited about that. <laughs> you sound like the father of teenage girls. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. And, and my oldest one will be 16 next year. So that'll be really uh, front and center in our minds. Very real. Yes. Well, as, as the mother of teenage boys, including a 17 year old, I, 100% agree with you that safer <laughs> cars would be an amazing, amazing development. And look beyond that, really exciting possibilities, right? You think about the medical field, robotics and hospitals, predictive software that can diagnose diseases earlier. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah, exactly. And and look, so the possibilities can boggle the mind. And, and I know deep in my soul, I, everything about history tells me that I shouldn't fear technology right and so i'm very much jody pushing a back against any instinct to be frightened you look at history it's always hyperbole it's always overblown yeah well it's like the quote i read the other day right once a technology rolls over you if you don't get on a steamroller then you're part of the road <laughs> yeah exactly it's so true it's so true so you want to lean into it although i will tell you um i'm not going to watch the terminator again anytime <laughs> soon Oh, yeah, we were warned about this back in 1984, and, and we didn't. We were. But look, as we're saying, almost all technologies are initially feared until they are embraced. And typically what you see, standards of living generally climb as a result of it. Concerns of mass unemployment have historically not materialized. And, no, and of no, course, I mean, in the U.S., what is it, 3.6% yeah, unemployment? Yeah, yeah, so technology's not killing all the jobs in the human race mm -hmm. uh, persists. Um, but I think what investors want to know beyond, beyond all of this is how do they prosper from AI? Um, right. How do they identify the types of businesses that will benefit from this? Absolutely. And that's why we're so happy that Ashley's here. She's going to put this all into the proper perspective for us and help us to think about the investable opportunities. Ashley's got a framework to help us categorize companies that are directly and indirectly involved with AI. And I think that's going to be really helpful to kind of wrap our arms around all of this. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, pr I promise you that I'm not a cyborg from the year 2029 sent to hear your best investment ideas. Oh, that's a movie pitch right there. Watch that. <laughs> How far away did 2029 seem when we first watched oh, the, Pred uh, the Terminator? All too fast. All too fast. So, Ashley, why don't we start? What is all this? What is artificial intelligence? What does it mean to you? 
Sure. So artificial intelligence, you know, I, I think it's one of those words, you know, similar to so many we've heard in the not too distant past of like metaverse and cryptocurrencies and all of this, that it, it carries a lot of meaning, but we don't really know exactly what that is. So artificial intelligence, you know, it, it's it's a pretty nebulous concept, but in its most basic form, it's really about mimicking some kind of human intelligence or decision making. Uh, it's really about, uh, you know, helping us process and categorize data, uh, make decisions based on available data, or even create new data, as we're seeing today, based on some kind of prompt. Uh, so really what we have today, it's not the, the Terminator, it's not HAL <laughs> from, you know, a space odyssey. It's, it's really what we call narrow AI. It's task specific. It's designed to accomplish something in particular. How did we forget a space odyssey? Yeah, that's a classic reference for sure. <laughs> But Ashley, what, so what's driving all the excitement now, right? I mean, we're, we're making all these old school references and we've been talking about AI since, I don't know what, the 50s or so. So what what is it about today? Why is it all of a sudden, or at least it feels like all of a sudden everywhere, we, everywhere you look? So we're excited today because of generative AI. It's really the, you know, this topic that has taken us by storm since the release of ChatGPT late last year. Uh, really this, this tech has been around for a while but really through this combination of you know, uh, incremental gains in computing power, uh, greater data availability, um, better models over time that have really just been incremental improvements, we're now able to have these generative AI systems that are able to uh, match human capabilities in natural language and a whole host of other uh, uh, possibilities. So what we have today are these systems that are able to, you know, for example, pass the bar exam or score well on the LSAT or the GRE. Uh, and we have similar systems as well, not just for text, but also for, for images, for audio and, and video, all, all sorts of capabilities that are, that are uh, uh, cropping up. And the capabilities are impressive. So I think that's why people are excited is because, you know, suddenly we have these tools that they're not the stuff of science fiction. They're the stuff that we can go online and play with at any given moment. And, you know, I, I think the, the possibilities are boundless, but also I think there's a, a great deal of fear that comes with that. So, you know, possibilities plus fear, I think, is excitement, right? Yeah, exactly. And is this different than Deep Blue beating a chess master in the 1990s? Or you remember when Watson, Joe, do you remember when IBM Watson was on Jeopardy and, yes. and was, was doing quite well? Is this mm -hmm. all that different? Have we made huge leaps and bounds since then? So in those cases, I would say AI was really purpose built. So, you know, you mentioned the examples of Deep Blue and, and of Watson. So these tools were really designed for that task at hand. They were, you know, within that context of narrow AI that I mentioned, they were even more narrow than what we have today. So things like these uh, large language models that we've been hearing about and, you know, have been able to, to play with since late November, uh, these are exciting because they are quite flexible. They're able to uh, understand uh, and and respond in natural human language. And, you know, it's something that I think seeing is believing. You're able to, to play with these things and uh, they're, they're able to, you know, write you a poem or write you a paper <laughs> or, you know, summarize a, a document or all sorts of, you know, everything from menial tasks to, to things that are more, I think, intellectually demanding. That's right. It's pretty yeah, remarkable. Yeah, it's, my, it's amazing. Um, my, a friend of mine was having a religious service for his 
daughters and we asked for a speech and it spit out a beautiful speech for him. I don't know if he used all of it, but it was it was almost too lovely to use all of it. But Jody, you're a you're a writer. Are you using the shortcuts now? Is the, the great American novel by Jody Phillips coming from oh, ChatGPT? No, no, not at all. Although I am mindful, the more I write, apparently that helps ChatGPT get smarter. Um, but but you know, Brian and you know Brian, you have a monthly column above the noise, and you know you occasionally do a segment in there that I really like, where you ask chat GPT a question and kind of critique its answer compared to how you would answer it. And I, th I think, you know, in most cases, it was maybe a little off base, not quite the full story. But so, you know, it's it's got a lot of room to uh, improve. So, so Ashley, when does that happen? I mean, when when can a uh, chat GPT just write the whole column or write my whole book? So you know what they say, right? Prediction is very difficult, especially if it's, especially if it's about the future. And really, you know, to me, it's not clear if it ever will be able to do our jobs. You know, I, I think we can create increasingly convincing, you know, uh, facsimiles of our jobs with AI. They can sort of give the impression that it's, it, it's able to, to think and learn. But ultimately, there's not a whole lot of deep thought that's going on here. Uh, in other words, AI can learn, but it can't think. It doesn't have ideas. It can't really critically analyze a problem. Uh, it can really, you know, at best give the impression of ideas by recognizing interconnected topics based on the training data it was initially you know, trained on, right? So that said, data science, it's really a field that's been developing at a, a breakneck pace for quite a while now. And predictions about future capabilities are you know, often exceeded. And the, the timeline of them is something that maybe we'll say, oh, this will happen in five years, but it ends up happening in two, or maybe nothing happens for a decade, but then suddenly everything happens in two years. So, you know, I think that the most likely outcome right here is that AI, I think, will be used as a tool paired alongside knowledge workers as part of our regular workflows, rather than something that really just takes our jobs. That's my prediction. Uh, but of course, you know, we could all be very wrong about what the timeline is here and what its ultimate capability is. I love that Ashley assumes that there's deep thought going on. Um here or in the rest of the U.S. workforce. <laughs> Very optimistic point aspirations of view. for our lives. <laughs> Do I need to know how it works or am I just going to be harnessing the, I mean, I don't really know how the World Wide Web works. I'm not really sure I know how my telephone works. So, um, so do I need to know how it works or it's just that these are going to be tools that I'm going to harness? So, I mean, you know, it's similar to what you just described with the phone. It's something that you can appreciate how it works, but it doesn't necessarily change how you interact with it. So, you know, I, I think that when we're talking AI, everything that we're talking about today is really centered on this generative AI topic. And I think there's a lot that's exciting here. So when we think about exactly how it's working, it's essentially a prediction model that's, you know, if we're using the example of text, if we ask one of these um, uh, chatbots a question, that it's able to sort of predict the series of words that flow from that. So if you ask it, you know, how are you, it's going to, you know, based on the training data it's seen before, sort of throw at you what the next uh, most likely words are from that. So I think what's exciting about what's going on here is that these models, they're not just giving you the same response every time. They're not, you know, in the parlance of 
of the, the space, they're not deterministic. They're not always arriving at the same uh, output given, given some kind of prompt or, or input. Uh, so in other words, they're probabilistic. There's a sort of dice roll that's happening every time there's a new word that we're getting uh, new content that flows from that. It gives us the impression almost of creativity. So you know, if we take this uh, idea and apply it to a model that has been trained on a mind-bogglingly huge amount of data, we get this sort of large language model that's able to understand natural language, understand topics, and provide intelligent sounding replies with variety. So if we can ask it to write a screenplay or write a, an academic paper or whatever, each time that we do that, we'll get a different output because it is probabilistic, which I think is one of the really cool things about this generative AI craze is that there's there's so many things that can come from it that, again, it can feel like creativity and we can make use of that. Now, I've heard that ChatGPT may have been getting dumber. Is that true? Well, I, I, I think that there's a, you know, a lot of um, fervor to question what's going on here to try to cast doubt on you know, the, the capabilities. So maybe look at that with a grain of salt. But so far, there, there have been some studies that have suggested that uh, because some of these models are live models, in other words, they're learning over time, given how people interact with them, that then maybe that's a commentary on society. They, yeah, it's idiocracy. Over time, <laughs> which, you know, go figure on that. But uh, it, it has been documented that um, on certain tasks that uh, performance uh, has degraded in, in certain categories, but in others, it's actually improved. So maybe this is a challenge for engineers to uh, uh, to figure out how exactly to wrangle how exactly these these models were learning. Putting it in that in that um, context, right? It's a tool. It's a predictive model. What it actually is versus what people either hope or fear it could be. I mean, understanding that, do you feel like the markets become too excited about it in that context? I mean, is is that uh, the excitement that's that the market is showing? Do you feel like that's appropriate for the potential, or how how do you view that aspect? So that's that's a tricky question for sure. <laughs> I I think that. From what I've seen year to date, I'm I'm feeling like it the the euphoria is there. Uh, you know, I, I I try to look at any sort of you know tech trend or anything that's driving the markets from two perspectives, right? So there's uh, on the one hand, how reasonable is the growth that we're pricing in? So you know, what are the earnings estimates of the companies that you know are are pushing up uh, the markets? And then two what price am I willing to, to pay for that? So we've got earnings on the one hand and the valuation we're paying for it on the other. And so from the, the earnings growth side of things, you know, we have seen companies that are involved in, in this AI craze be marked up you know, about five percentage points if we look at the, some of the mega cap tech names uh, since the, the release of ChatGPT, which you know, that's not too crazy. So that's five percentage points uh, over the next three years. That's a um, compound annual growth rate there. So again, seems reasonable. And then on the valuation side of things, if we think of it from the um, the, the price to um, the, the price to earnings perspective, we've really moved up from uh, about 36 times earnings earlier this year to 51 times earnings on a trailing uh, valuation perspective. And then on forward PEs, uh, we've also moved up from, you know, around 32 times earnings to 37. Which, and that's on the mega cap growth. Yeah, names these are the or... mega cap tech names. You know, the, the, the typical names. Fang names that we like yeah. to 
to pick on. And so you have to ask yourself, right? Do you believe that earnings growth? And again, if so, are you willing to pay for that? And you know, I think the earnings growth has been marked up, but so is the valuation. Uh, so I, I think that you know, from the that that sort of perspective, yes, uh, it has moved up in price, and you know, I, I think that it's gotten quite expensive, especially if you look at these names. Uh, but it doesn't seem too outlandish. However, in the, the context of all of this, we've got rising interest rates. We've got, you know, uh, a, a backdrop that's, you know, macroeconomically speaking, you know, fairly weak. You know, I, at this stage, I'm I'm sort of thinking, okay, maybe that's a bit expensive to, to get <laughs> in on this trend. Uh, but, you know, I, maybe you could say that it's just been priced in, right? Now, now I'm I'm old enough to remember the craze around the dot coms and the, and the original launch of the internet, and you know, of course, some of those businesses were famously overvalued, and some of them, of course, did disappear. But yet, there was a lot of way to profit and a lot of ways to take advantage from this new platform that was going to, you know, connect billions of people around the world and and change really how we do everything. So, regardless of cyclically whether it's expensive, how do you think about the structural? investment opportunities and what type of businesses should investors be watching? Yeah, so I, I think that this is, um, you know, always tricky to sort of think of who's going to win, who's going to lose and over what time frame, right? You know, if you go back to the, the tech bubble days, you know, a lot of the ideas that were at play there eventually did play out. It's just, right. <laughs> it was a bit ahead of its time. The, the right. rest you of had to own Amazon eventually, not pets.com. Yeah, exactly. It's great. But but I've heard you I've heard you categorize the types of businesses in this space. I'd love to hear you talk through that to the greater possibilities audience. Yeah. So the the sort of buckets that I put, you know, all of these uh, investment implications, if you will, that there there's sort of three categories of business that I think broadly speaking would would uh, benefit from this AI craze. And on the one hand, and I think we've already seen a lot of this are the enablers. So this is everybody from, you know, the, you know, if we go to hardware, so the, um, the, the hardware that's used to train these AI models. So if you think semiconductors, um, those are in the sorts of enablers or picks and shovels approach, if you will. Um, and then we also have those companies that are building the models themselves. These are often the, you know, again, the mega cap tech names uh, that really have the development capabilities to make this happen. Um, and also companies that have large treasure troves of data. If, if data is the new oil in our information economy, <laughs> then you know you're well positioned for you know being somebody who can develop a differentiated AI model. So you know those are the enablers that I see behind this whole AI craze. Um, the other bucket or second bucket would be sort of the um, the adopters, right? So those are the the companies that are able to. Uh, use these AI models that have been built and in integrate them into some kind of uh, uh, part of their business, whether that's their their product or you know how they actually uh, run themselves. Maybe it's uh, internal efficiencies that they can gain. Uh, you know, the, there's a, a long list of possibilities of how exactly this can be applied and in different sectors. Uh, and then on the the third bucket, I sort of view this as responders. So, you know, AI brings all sorts of new threats that society must address. And, you know, we have companies that can also use AI themselves to respond to that. So I, I think that's a, a third bucket that can 
perhaps benefit from uh, uh, from this AI uh, trend. So there you have it. You have the enablers, you have your uh, adopters, and then you have your responders. When you're thinking about those buckets, are there any that you think are, um, you know, I don't want to say better than others, or just just kind of like a, a better position to be in than others? Or are there buckets that you're watching particularly closely to see, you know, how either the adoption plays out or or the, the enablement plays out? You know, what are kind of your thoughts in terms of, of that? Yeah, so I think that, you know, from what I just laid out there, you can sort of view it almost like a timeline. So the enablers mm -hmm. are going to benefit, you know, in, in this theory I've laid up, the enablers would benefit first. And mm -hmm. I think we've already seen a lot of that in the price action so far. Um, then the adopters would be those companies that are able to, you know, actually make use of, of AI. And I think that we're seeing the beginnings of that, although it's still early stages. And that could be pretty much anyone in any sector or industry, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's it's going to, you know, we started this talking about autonomous vehicles or, you know, robotics and hospitals. I mean, th that could go to even some people like us analyzing markets, writing emails. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's a broad bucket. That's right. And, you know, I, I think that's the the broad bucket, you know, broadly defined like that, it's it's done that way for a reason. Yeah. That we, we have so much that AI can impact that it'd be a mistake, I think, to just focus on one particular sector. I would say though that, you know, from studies I've I've seen on on automation in, in general, they tend to focus more on the information economy and less on more um, manual tasks. So, you know, perhaps those uh, adopters or those that are, um, less manual labor and more, you know, information economy, which is, you know, in the US at least some 100 million jobs. Uh, so it's a pretty <laughs> large chunk to, uh, to to sift through. Now, let's go with an FDR quote here. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Um, how fearful is the only thing we have to fear, fear itself? I mean, how fearful should we be when, you know, you hear some of these people who have worked in AI over the course of their lives um, say, look, we got to slow this down. There's big challenges that face humanity here. And you already have the Biden administration speaking with some of those the leaders of those mega cap growth companies that, that you had mentioned to try and put some parameters around this. Are, do you have concerns? So I, I do have concerns. Uh, and I think that my concerns are less focused on what people normally talk about, which is, you know, is this going to replace me? And it's more about what its implications are for, you know, for society at large. So my biggest fear is really about how AI can be used for malicious purposes. Uh, so, you know, you've probably heard of things like, uh, like deep fakes, uh, voice mimicking, uh, image manipulation, automated code generation, and all sorts of threats that, you know, are, are brought on by generative AI. And there's already been examples of this. We had last year deep fakes of Ukraine's President Zelensky. Uh, this year, just in May, we had a, a faked uh, image of a, an attack on the Pentagon that briefly moved markets uh, in the morning of, uh, 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 excuse me, on a morning late in May. Um, and yeah, these these threats are real. I don't think as well that our tools as a society are really evolving fast enough to appreciate and tackle those problems. We're already struggling with how to handle the internet, cryptocurrencies, misinformation, and all sorts of other challenges. And I think these problems will only add to that pressure. 
And this whole idea that the machines will rise up, is that just science fiction nonsense? I mean, I, I joke that I'm not a cyborg from, from 2029, but I, I do get questions from investors about the fate of humanity. Are you unwilling to even go there in your mind? I, I'm not I'm not worried about the fate of humanity. Maybe we could all live in a Wally world, you know, maybe the the good parts of the Wally world, maybe that not not so much the other side things. But uh, I think that the the risks to um, you know to to what this means for humanity, it's not like we're going to have something that's like in control of the nuclear codes or something like that that we have some kind of tool like how that is able to go rogue and you know, cause all kinds of, of mayhem. Rather, these, these tools are really built for a particular purpose. Their, um, their abilities are limited to a specific, uh, you know, set of functions. It's not like we can just give them free reign over whatever they want to do, right? Right. So Ashley, tell me, we've talked a lot about the capabilities and what AI is and isn't, but what excites you the most? What what are you most looking forward to watching develop as as time goes by? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, like we've been talking about, there's a lot that people I think are nervous about, but there's a lot I think to be really excited about. So there's, for example, if we're thinking of, you know, generative AI involved in our day-to-day -day work, this could mean faster summarization of, of content that we're looking to read, but don't have time to get to. It could mean helping us with, you know, task prioritization. Uh, in essence, we're kind of getting this personal assistant that could be embedded into our work streams that really helps alleviate, you know, distractions and enable the kind of knowledge work that our, you know, our livelihood center around, right? Uh, there's this author, uh, Cal Newport, who's really written at length about this idea that he calls deep work. And his argument really is about how in today's knowledge economy, focus is a sort of precious commodity, but really what we see happening is ever more notifications and you know uh, things that are distracting us that pull away from our ability to do real you know quality knowledge work. So in other words, every interruption costs us, whether it's our phones or an Outlook email or other distraction. And if AI can you know, be integrated into our work streams to help minimize those sorts of distractions and alleviate menial work, take care of those rote tasks and allow us to focus, I think we can all be more productive, right? So, you know, that's what I'm excited about with AI, that it can really, you know, make us more productive in our day-to-day -day jobs and, you know, help us grow the economy and ideally our livelihoods. So Brian, how are you feeling on your own personal fear excitement scale? Well, I'm, um, yeah, of course it helps. And I, I love listening to Ashley. And, and um, I, like I said in the intro, I'm pushing against my instincts for fear because I really liked your quote. I can't get it exactly right, but I'm either going to be steamrolled mm -hmm. in the, into the road on this or I'm going to get on board. And um, I, I'm going to get on board, right? I'm going to yep. look for opportunities to, to best take advantage to make my life more and my career more efficient. And I'm going to look for opportunities on how to invest and, and take advantage of what I think is a strong uh, long-term structural theme. Yeah. And I might try to write my book a little faster just in case. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us and help putting all this in perspective. Ashley, thank you. Absolutely. So great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So that brings us to the end of another Greater Possibilities podcast, but the conversation doesn't stop here. Yeah, visit Invesco.com backslash Brian Levitt 
to read my latest commentaries, you can follow me on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Brian Levitt. And if you missed any of that, that information is on our podcast page. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of July 25, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Discussions of specific companies are for illustrative purposes only and should not be considered buy-sell recommendations. In general, stock values fluctuate, sometimes widely, in response to activities specific to the company, as well as general market, economic, and political conditions. Many products and services offered in technology-related industries are subject to rapid obsolescence, which may lower the value of the issuers. All data sourced to Invesco unless otherwise noted. The U.S. unemployment rate was 3.6% in June 2023, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. LSAT stands for Law School Admission Test. GRE stands for Graduate Record Examinations. Information on tech company earnings and valuations is from Bloomberg LP as of July 25, 2023. PE stands for Price to Earnings Ratio, which measures a stock's valuation by dividing its share price by its earnings per share. Forward Price to Earnings Ratio is calculated by dividing the company's current share price by its expected earnings, usually for the next 12 months or next full fiscal year. FANG is an acronym that stands for Meta, formerly known as Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet, formerly known as Google. The Greater Possibilities Podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.